Let's Talk About Wellbeing is a series of podcast episodes with Jackie Allen and Leslie Malcolm in conversation, whose very own life experiences will give you help on building well-being into your life. You are very welcome to join us on our very first podcast. We are so excited to start this journey where you will hear a little bit about us as we share our thoughts, ideas and tips and our life stories and... Um, Along the way, we have little bits of research and ongoing new findings that we can allude to. And it'll be on a range of topics and how diet and exercise have helped us over the years. But it's also based around some of the key crisis points that are happening now in the nation's health and particularly with the pandemic. So we feel that which that has probably exacerbated or highlighted some of the issues that were already there. So first of all, we'd like to let you, the listener, know about us as individuals. Yes, thank you, Jackie. Well, we are two women with many years' experience. It's fair to say we've both been 21 many, many times now. And we haven't actually known each other very long. In fact, we haven't actually met. I'm here in Glasgow. Jackie, you're in Aberdeen. We hope to meet sometime in the future, obviously. But we met via a network group and we were on a breakout room and it was only the two of us. And we started talking about well-being and realised we had so much to say. So we had a few chats and decided we wanted to do this podcast and we realised also that we can actually chat about this and many other subjects until the cows come home so we decided that you know the idea of the podcast was um, what we wanted to do and um, it gave us a space to introduce and basically speak to some interesting people on their various areas of expertise which we hope to do at some time in the future first few podcasts will just be us but in the future we hope to invite experts on their particular subject just to help us and you in terms of maintaining your well-being so Jackie do you want to tell the listener a little bit about yourself Currently, I work for a digital marketing agency. That's quite an exciting field, but I'm also really interested in health and nutrition. But my background, uh, my main sort of career was as a fashion boutique owner, which I ran for many years, along with a beauty salon. And that sort of really got me to know and learn so much about what women think and feel as the years go by from the young exciting days to the the more mature days which we are probably reaching now and um, that's given me a great insight for where I am now. Okay Leslie so enough about me let's hear a little bit about you and your background. My background is actually HR. I started off as an HR manager with um, two of the country's biggest retailers. Where one of my first jobs was actually in Belfast for two years. Back in the mid-80s, obviously I was only five at the time. However, that did really give me an insight because obviously Belfast was quite a troubled city at that time. It did give me an insight in terms of the whole concept of you know, people having psychological problems, even at a young age. And that whole philosophy of looking after people within the workplace within that context sort of took me right through my career and I latterly worked for one of the big computer manufacturers um, looking after employee relations and well-being over two sites and then decided to go self-employed and probably for the last three or four years certainly I have been training on well-being in all its aspects in the workplace and to be absolutely honest you know since the pandemic that business has absolutely gone global because obviously virtually you can reach anybody and obviously Obviously now we're doing this. Jackie, if you had to describe well-being to an alien who'd just landed on the planet and kept hearing this word well-being, what would you say? Well-being for me personally, I would say I think it's a mix of 
your physical, emotional and mental health, which you've just alluded to, um, is a massive priority. For me, wherever possible, I like to maintain good physical health as being self-employed for many years. If I wasn't healthy and able to do my job on a daily basis, then that would really have a massive impact on my business and obviously my team around me. In the early years, um, I actually was quite ill myself and was actually diagnosed as a celiac, which is like a gluten-free diet for life. That's always impacted me from being a young person right through to now. And um, of course, I know that we can't always control our health. Obviously, that was out with my control. But we can always try to do the best that we can. And whatever the situation is and wherever we are in, in life, it's always up to us. And I've always felt it was up to me personally to take control of my health and be proactive. And I think as, as I'm getting older, that's even more vital to me personally. That sounds really, really good. And for me, I, when I think of the well-being, I obviously go back because obviously I do a lot of training, I go back to the World Health Organization's definition where they talk about it, you know, as a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being. And it's not just, if you like, the absence of any disease or infirmity. So, you know, basically what they're saying is that, that you can feel good about yourself, you can feel good about life, you can feel good about the future, but still have an underlying illness. And I think, you know, that's what you were saying in terms of, you know, your celiac, etc. And, you know, and it's that kind of, positive rather than a neutral state you know health is an ongoing and a positive aspiration well, I certainly think you know health is wealth if you've got your health then you've got everything you know we're going to talk about things like exercising and eating well but it's more than that isn't it you know it's something that we you know we should aspire to in terms of our attitude and our positivity and therefore obviously our behavior so it's, it's kind of everything in our life in terms of well-being I think it's just how we feel I really think it is very much linked to how we feel inside. Actually, as humans, it's our ability and to have that awareness over our thoughts and feelings and make actions and changes to our life. You know, I'm really aware from my own experiences that how we look and behave on the externally, if you like, doesn't always necessarily reflect what's happening internally. And a lot of these external factors can impact on our health and our well-being, and that can be linked to all sorts of things such as our, our work, our everyday relationships with our families, all sorts of things can really affect us just as individuals. And I totally agree with the external factors. In fact, I remember reading about 15 years ago a book by Carol Craig called The, the Scottish Crisis of Confidence. And, you know, and I think, to be honest, although it's defined as the Scottish Crisis of Confidence, I think it's very reflective of the whole of, whole of the UK. And basically what she was saying was that if you took um, a Scottish 15-year-old age seven, if you looked at the rest of Europe, in terms of their self-esteem and their confidence, it was exactly the same. By the time they got to age 15 confidence levels had dropped and you know so what are we doing in that time now I know that schools are now doing a huge amount of work around well-being particularly with young men to get them to open up and talk and just generally on self-esteem is such a big thing but you know and that all as you say has that where, where we don't have that belief in ourselves and, and that joy of life you know it impacts and all sorts of things you know our relationships etc and I think we both know through life, you know, how all those ups and downs that, you know, it does impact on how we view the world and how that we um, behave in the world. You can't let that bother you. You need to try and, and keep your own self-esteem, your own self-belief basically above the line. 
That's very true, but it is hard if it's just in your endemic in your culture. Yes. I think that is, is a massive problem, although we can only allude to our experiences in, in this part of the world. And I know certainly in the northeast of Scotland, you're not really allowed to be successful. It's almost like a crime. Yeah. It's a really strange uh, mindset. And I think that's reflected in, in the schools and the culture that's happening with bullying. And we can't control, obviously, the social media element is, is um, exacerbating that side of things. This is something I think that's, you know, helping to make this whole mental health thing, especially in the teenage years, such an issue and something really needs to be addressed going forward. Speaking of our early years, uh, Leslie, I was just wanting to know, you know, what were you like at school? Were you sporty or were you, were you more academic or were you a bit of both? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I was really clever and really sporty, note. <laughs> I was a very studious person. I was actually quite an anxious child and that has been something I get that's, that's taken me through my life. It's probably in the last 10, 15 years I've kind of shaken that all off. But certainly from a sporty perspective, I mean, I, lo- I love exercise now, absolutely love it. But from a sporty perspective, yes, in primary years, I was very sporty. I was the fastest girl in the class. The problem was that everybody there else grew up and I stayed at five feet two. So so by the time, time I got to um, secondary school, everybody else was way, way beyond me. <laughs> well, um, as being a similar height, I can uh, only just agree with that. I know that feeling. I, I had all the ambition, but didn't necessarily have the talent. <laughs> I did love and hate sport at the same time. I, I did, you know, did all the usual things at hockey and netball and some running and stuff like that. So I always kept trying things, but I was never, I was never first picked in the team, put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> picking sides. <laughs> I know that feeling. So how have you gone on over the years, you know, from that standing start of being the fastest to maybe not quite as fast to looking after your health and, you know, introducing the whole physical fitness side over the intervening years, put it like that? I think, you know, I'll obviously for probably certainly the two of us living our lives perhaps in the um, the 70s and the 80s, you know, obviously fitness, Jane Fonda, etc. was out there. And um, I remember having a Cindy Crawford video and doing that often. But probably it wasn't until I was in my 30s or 40s that I actually started joining a gym, but became almost addicted to it. I loved it. I mean, I have to say that for probably 10 years, I stopped. I've recently started again and I've got back into the mindset. But what it did, actually teach me was one how much better I felt when I was exercising on a regular and a consistent basis but also that mindset is so important you know you have to be in that mindset and focusing and keep that consistency and develop those habits but I mean there's just no two ways about it that when I'm exercising I feel great when I'm not I don't feel good you know, so I, th- and I think that's just now my philosophy for life moving forward. I won't stop exercising. You do quite a bit of exercise as well, don't you? Yeah, I do like to do lots of things now. I think going back to when I was sort of my early days of marriage and had my business, I was stuck in a shop basically all day. So it was really important for me to get outside and, and get some fresh air. So um, I was a great one for my step aerobics, as mentioned in Cindy Crawford and all the 80s with your leg warmers and things like that. I absolutely loved doing that. And I used to swim a lot and go for runs. So I ended up getting a little bit obsessed for a little while, if I'm perfectly honest. And I had this, I had to be doing things, but I've, I have calmed down now and over the intervening years I've got involved with hill walking not the massive Monroe's and things like that but just close to us we have Benihi which is a nice up and down in a couple of hours so that's that's a great de-stressor for me if I'm feeling a bit looking like I need a bit of a calm down (laughs) or just need to get some things off my chest and a bit of cycling 
my favourite at the moment is Jazzercise. It's a mix of really super music and little dance routines and exercise with weights. So it's a good all-over toner and feel good. It just makes you feel brilliant. So for me, being outside as well is... So the first blink of sun, because we live in Scotland, obviously we don't have as much as some countries. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm out there. I'm the little pussycat finding a, a cosy spot just to top up my levels of vitamin D. Because that's, of course, really, really important to yeah. keeping ourselves topped up. And it's just that feel-good factor that you mentioned. Yeah. And in, in terms of the whole context of, of you know, well-being, what we're trying to get, get over today, I mean, we've talked about, obviously, our positivity. We've talked about exercise. But food has a huge part to play in our overall well-being, doesn't it? And, and obviously, if you've got a restricted diet, that can be even more challenging. Well, that has been an issue. Food is everyone's favourite topic and I'm no different in that respect. But of course, I've had to really balance how I eat and, and what I eat and to make sure that it keeps me well because it's really vital um, to my well-being to eat without gluten. And in the early days, I mean, there was terrible things like tinned bread that you just wouldn't even feed to your pets, to be perfectly honest. But luckily now, in some ways, luckily, it's much much nicer to be a gluten-free person but I wouldn't choose it if I didn't have to but food and really being celiac the whole what's in our gut and what's in our system is really really vital so I like to cook food from scratch if I can mainly it's not always mm -hmm. possible and in the early days when I used to go to exhibitions and things um, sometimes there was absolutely nothing I could eat and that was a real trauma for me and I hated to be the odd one out if I'm absolutely honest but as I say now it's uh, more common but that's not necessarily a good thing. So what about you? What are you like? I'm one of those people that I love food. I, I love everything. I'm very lucky. I eat anything. And there's probably, if you, you know, certain people will say, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. I just like absolutely everything. And um, there's nothing I won't eat. But, you know, again, in these days of processed foods, I'm not a great cook. And I have to say, I know some people find it relaxing. I don't love cooking. But more and more, I'm realising the importance of food on our mental health. You know, I've been listening to lots of podcasts and um, doing a lot of reading on the whole concept of, of gut health, which I know is a big key topic of yours and how that, in actual fact, gut health equals mental health. And I think that's something that we're, you know, that as a society, we've been talking for years about the importance of exercise and, you know, how we have to um, keep exercising for our heart health and all these other things. And we have to eat the right things for our heart, but we're not talking about food, for example, from the point of view of our, our mental health. And I think that's something we will obviously talk about in more depth in another uh, podcast, but it's something that is fairly new to me, but something that I'm, I'm really passionate about is the fact that, you know, something like apparently 90% of the serotonin that we make in our body is made in our gut. Um, so if we're not kind of making sure that our gut's its best, then actual fact, when it's getting taken via the vagus nerve to the brain, then we're not really feeding our brain in the best way and therefore you know, that does impact our, our mental health is what, you know, I've certainly read. Well, it is very much the case. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in what I call of looking at food. And if it's brown, it's less likely to be good for you. So if it's green and vibrant in colour, that's just a very simple code to think what's good for me to put into my body. And I'm not saying that you should never have anything that's brown. <laughs> but I think um, it is a great indicator of Mother Nature's calling out to saying, eat me, eat me, because this is really good for you. And really, the whole um, issue of how the food manufacturers have trained our taste buds, if you like, into loving things that are probably not that great if we have too much of anything. So things now tend to be over salted, much more sugary and 
too much of that overloads our system and that really does impact. And you mentioned about the serotonin uh, and that is made in our gut, but so is the calming hormone, GABA, and even the one that encourages us to have a really good sleep, melatonin. That's all controlled in our gut. So it's really, really important that, like a garden, you feed that garden with some really good nutrition. Like if you have cultivate roses, you're going to give it some extra rose powder to help it to grow. So you've got to consider your gut is like that because it really does um, impact. And the studies now, even in um, lab mice, have shown that things like probiotics can increase the production of GABA and um, that can help to reduce anxiety and depression-like behaviour. So there's so much research going on, and we will allude to that a little bit more uh, later on in the series, but it is massively important to our everyday mental well-being and nutrition. And actually, I didn't realise that about the GAVA and um, the melatonin, um, that that was actually made in the gut as well. So, you know, all of a sudden, that's kind of made me think much more about what I'm putting in my in my gut, essentially, what you're eating and, and the impact that it has on us as, as human beings. And actually all of that then impacts how our emotions then, doesn't it? Because if it's, if it's feeding our brain, it's impacting our emotions, which is impacting our positivity. And that is obviously one of the main pillars of resilience. And, in, you know, in this very busy 24-hour news cycle of life, we need to be able to have that positive. We need to be able to keep ourselves up there. And, you know, again, if we're not if we're not eating correctly, exercising correctly, then these are the things that, you know, tend to make us feel down and basically blight our overall attitude and overall well-being in, in life. But it's also a problem in that we're made to also feel guilty about what we eat. You know, there's mm -hmm. that flip side yeah. and that, that causes massive stress and that can lead to things, you know, obviously obesity, but equally on the flip side, anorexia. And that's, a, you know, a, it's an eating disorder that is becoming more and more common um, and it affects often young teenage girls, for example. So it's so linked, you know, there's so much pressure on society for us to, to look and feel a certain way. And that's exacerbated in the media often enough, as we, as we know, and there's, there's lots of campaigning against having larger size models and so forth to try and balance or tip that balance. But um, realistically, some of the biggest issues that we have in our societies, and this is global, this is not in our part of the world, obviously, but the whole obesity, heart disease and diabetes is all linked to the gut more and more. They're finding that these things are, are just being exacerbated. We talk about these underlying conditions, for example, that are exacerbating COVID. But the thing that nobody's actually seeing, them, one of probably most prevalent underlying conditions is actually obesity. We use this phrase underlying conditions, but we're, nobody's saying it's because we're, we're all too heavy. It has such an impact on our society. Well, that's right. And, you know, I think we've, we've spoken about this before, but even in the NHS, you know, people are working on shift patterns and a lot of people that actually work in the NHS themselves are, are struggling yeah. with their weight uh, because their eating patterns are out of kilter. They're working enormous pressured shifts, you know, and mm -hmm. then there's maybe that grab and go culture. Just take the first thing. There's got short breaks. And I think um, even Boris, our prime minister, you know, said honestly, hands up, you know, after his COVID experience that a lot of it was down to him being overweight, overweight yeah. being a fatty, <laughs> you know, and I thought, you know, that was a really good admission for him to make. And yeah, and I think there's been a lot more um, emphasis now on being a bit more proactive about weight management, because that yeah. underlying factor is definitely obesity. There's absolutely no question about it. And I know and, that 
it's probably not politically correct for us to be talking as much about this. You know, there is this whole thing of fat shaming, but there's the other side of it that it's killing people. The thing is, it is completely reversible. You know, if um, people just redress what they are eating, even just in short steps, you don't have to suddenly, you know, lose five stone overnight. But if you just aim to improve one element of your health each day or each week and cut back on certain things that you know that you've probably taken had three takeaways this week well why not have two takeaways and 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 i think yeah. a lot of it is ignorance of t- how to cook you know yes i, I agree enough emphasis in schools about eating food you know it's in the media and everything like that but but how do we do it are we mm-hmm. teaching our children how to cook a lot of parents themselves don't have the time to cook it's going back to that work-life balance the pressures work and family and covid in the mix you know as well as all the other challenges that we face and I think, you know, the whole eating culture is something that really is a big thing. And but interesting, you're talking about, you know, the NHS and shifts, etc. And I certainly do a lot of training with people on shifts. And that's one of the one of the biggest challenges they've got, obviously, is sleep. And that's the one we haven't touched on. And, you know, sleep is probably Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, is just extraordinary. And I was listening to his um, podcast with Dr. Chatterjee. And he basically said, shorten your sleep, shorten your life. Some the stats that were quite staggering something like in 1940 there was only four percent of us were sleep deprived now the world health organization says that there's only 28 percent of us actually get the between seven and nine hours sleep that we need as you know as human beings and that's because of that 24 you know new cycle of life that we're living in but, but equally you know people with shifts obviously have it more it's more difficult for them to sleep but also just going back to the eating thing you know when they're on shifts and particularly a night shift then you're going against your natural rhythm you know and it puts your you know obviously a circadian rhythm out of sync and that as a result means that the insulin levels rise and as and as a result you actually crave those sweet foods those things that we shouldn't be eating it's a vicious circle so not only are you eating the wrong thing but at the same time it, again it's affecting your sleep and you know if you can't sleep it makes everything else so hard you make you make the wrong choices when you're eating you, you don't want to exercise it makes you feel rubbish and you're grumpy so it kind of just affects all of your life yeah it exacerbates um, issues as well and I mean I know myself from experience you can go over and over and over things in your sleep and it just takes over your life and I think you're waking up the next day you can't perform as well you're more likely not even to have breakfast which I'm a great believer that even just a small breakfast is better to break that fast you know that's why it's called breakfast it's really really important to start fueling your engine and a lot of people they haven't slept well they, they get up they sleep late they rush on to their job or wherever they need to be first thing in the morning and they're already on a, a downwards spiral because they haven't got any nutrition in their body to fuel their working day and then that's when they start grabbing as you rightly say the the sugary snacks the things that are less less good for us put it like that but they, they make us feel better but only in the short term and good health is all about living in a sort of even balance and as soon as that tips one way or another that's when the excess kicks in and that excess can be food it can also be things like alcohol it can also be taking drugs and things to help us to keep going and all of those in themselves are baddies if you like everything in moderation is fine but it's when you start to go to excess and and people who are suffering from um, any mental issues tend to go towards these things as well and to keep you know to show us up and even these drinks that are packed full of sugar 
they're you know full of caffeine and sugar to keep people going. I think they're an absolute no-no, and it's a short-term fix. Yeah, people self-medicate just to make their self feel better in the minute. But as you say, longer term, it's got disastrous um, effects. Hopefully that's one of the things that we can bring to this podcast is, you know, well, not just our own individual sort of opinions, but the fact that um, we've been round the block a few times so <laughs> and we've, we've made all those um, errors in our life. So that's what kind of helps us hopefully help other people out there. And as we get a bit older, I thought we could touch on something we're going to speak about a little bit more, but it's certainly a big hot topic at the moment, and it's like those menopause years. Well, why don't we talk about menopause at our next podcast, Jackie, because there is such a lot to say in that. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll wrap up here. So from me, Leslie Malcolm. And from me, Jackie Allen. Thanks for being with us, and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Let's Talk About Wellbeing podcast with Jackie Allen and Leslie Malcolm. For more information on how to build well-being into your life, please search for our Facebook page, Let's Talk About Wellbeing.